Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Chef Life. Today we're here with Tom from Big Mouth Kyoza. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. So um, yeah, we've been working with you for about a year or so now. Uh, so you're, as we've just been talking about that, you're quite different to some of our standard customers. So you're a bit more event focused. So yeah. it's quite interesting to learn a bit more about that and stuff. So cool. do you want to tell everyone listening where you've sort of started off and how you got into this? Sure. Um, so I kind of, I grew up, um, Kind of, I started early in the hospitality industry. Um, I started working at a golf club right. when I was about, I think I was 14. I don't think legal anymore. Right, fair um, cheap I, I was earning like £3.42 an hour, Yeah. Um, working in a golf club kitchen, yeah. doing everything from pot washing to helping with food prep to serving customers. Um, it's kind of, you know, golf club menu, you know, sandwiches, burgers, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was an absolutely fantastic way to like kind of get a start in the working world. Awesome. I absolutely fell in love with <clears throat> hospitality. Um, absolutely loved like food service and everything about it. I just became absolutely infatuated. Um, so I got a really, really early start kind of in the game. Um, after that, I worked um, in hotels a little bit. Um, I worked for Village, the hotel company. Yeah. Doing everything from weddings to like four-star restaurant service, kind of really, really good pub restaurant food for a hotel. Mm -hmm. it was, I thought it was kind of good at the time. Uh, the menu was really progressive, and they, they were actually serving high-quality food in a decent enough hotel, which I thought was really good. Um, then I went off to university, um, studied uh, kind of business management kind of thing in Manchester. Um, while I was there, I worked with um, Tampopo, Nice, were, yeah. Uh, uh, absolutely fantastic. I think Asian Fusion is probably the right way to describe it, but they're, they're like a competitor of Wagamama. Yeah. Um, up House there. Um, I absolutely fell in love with Asian food. Um, it just really broadened my horizons to, to what food was and how to use high-quality ingredients in the right way yeah. on an absolutely massive scale. Um, nice. I worked in the Trafford Centre with them, wow. which is a, a busy, busy. huge site doing hundreds and hundreds of cups a day, yeah. which is mental. I, I absolutely loved it. I, I loved the Russian restaurant service. I loved. I just loved everything about it. Um, so for me, I always wanted to have my own food business doing something. But I was never really sure what I wanted to do or how I wanted to do that. Um, at one point, I didn't really think going into the food industry was going to happen for me. I had a lot of different options on the table. Um, but then I started doing a master's while um, doing something a bit ridiculous. I was trying to make a living playing poker. Okay. Um, Interesting. With the dream being like travel the world on the pro poker tour. Nice. You know, doing all that kind of thing. Um, but in the end, it was it was a little bit too focused on being behind a computer screen 70 hours a week. And it, it wasn't really what I wanted from life. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I was in a little bit of a crossroads with what I wanted to do. Um, I had the choice of moving to London, you know, working in finance, doing that kind of thing. Um, but ultimately, I, I chose to move to Asia. Yeah. Um, spent about a year traveling around Thailand, Vietnam, Lovely. Philippines, that kind of thing. Um, settled in Japan, yeah. um, where I stayed for nearly four years. Fantastic. Teaching English. Whereabouts um, in Japan? I lived um, between um, Yokohama and Tokyo. Okay. Um, absolutely amazing experience. Yeah. Um, best years of my life, probably. Um, it, was, it was so much fun. I was working in junior high school, teaching kids. I was working for Sesame Street. The kid, they have an English program there. Wow. And basically working with Elmo. That yeah. kind of nice. Thing. Awesome. Um, but... At the same time, too, there was still this lingering feeling in my head that 
I really wanted to do something with food yeah because um, it was the industry I grew up in the industry sure. I absolutely loved um and it got to the point where teaching English had kind of run its course for me yeah um living as a foreigner in a in a country like that it's it's very very difficult to kind of start your own business or have like entrepreneurial aspirations sure without the proper backing from you know like a native speaker and somebody with the right you know name for the paperwork and all that kind of and thing. And how was it how did you find the language barrier when you went over there was that? They're, they're the most wonderful helpful people yeah. you could possibly imagine yeah and um, they're absolutely wonderful so you know my, my Japanese was relatively good by the time I left right um, but at the same time, so you muddle your way through and they're just so wonderful and helpful and they try hard. And if, awesome. if they see that you're trying, yeah. then they give you absolutely as much room as you need Brilliant. to kind of work through the situation. Um, so I kind of got to a point where I was managing teachers as well as teaching. Wow. And the, the next step for me was to basically become what's called a salary man. Yeah. Um, which is where you're bound to an office for 70 hours a week, not really working with kids anymore, not really kind of doing the thing that I, I really enjoyed teaching. It, it yeah. was fun. But so you kind of cap yourself with like earnings and like career yeah. progression unless you become like an officer owner. Right, okay. Yeah. Um and while I while I lived in Japan, I really, really found the food, the restaurant scene, everything about eating and dining in Japan, I just I just was absolutely enamored by it. Yeah. Um you're really lucky when you're a teacher because you you finish school basically when school finishes for the kids. <coughs> you get to three o'clock and unless you had evening work on. You'd go to a bar, you'd yeah. go to a restaurant, and you'd spend your afternoons drinking and eating in the most amazing places. Just so many wonderful memories of just meeting some friends, posting up at a bar, and the you know the kit, just a tiny kitchen there, yeah. and just bringing whatever they've cooked that day. It was just magical. Um, so I kind of kept nagging myself, thinking, if you're going to stop doing this, what are you going to do next? Sure. Um, so the final year that I was there spent a lot of time kind of thinking, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? Um, and meanwhile, back in England, I think this was 2018, 2017, 2018, we we're seeing an absolute boom in street food. Yeah. So many street food businesses starting, so many amazing venues happening. And I was kind of watching from afar, seeing this develop, thinking, how can I get in, involved in that? How can yeah. I get my piece of the pie? Meanwhile, Japan has absolutely wonderful festivals yeah so like through the summer and, and spring it's like matsuri season Absolutely. like every little village has its own little festival yeah you'd go to some bigger ones for like a big tanabata festival like a dance festival yeah and there'd be all these stalls lined lining the streets just families would just set up and somebody's grandma makes amazing yakitori nice and they'd just, they'd just be selling just chicken on a stick yeah, yeah, yeah. you know they're not doing anything fancy they just got a cold riddle in front of them yeah and that's it and i just thought this is amazing yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. So I kind of spent a whole year like researching, making a business plan. Um, but the, the big first step, the, the first issue that I had, was I didn't know what I wanted to serve. I didn't sure. know what I wanted to cook. Um, I tried loads of ideas. I was always having tasting parties at my flat. Nice. My friends would be coming over. I was going to do like um, crazy tempura prawns. Yeah. I had an idea called bad salads, which was like doing like salads in a way that was unhealthy. Nice. Like loads of different things. So I wanted to have a niche. Yeah. Because um, one of the most inspiring things about food in Japan is you, you go to a place that just does one thing. Yeah. It's all they do. Like my favorite ramen place, a place called Yoshimoriya in central Yokohama. Mm -hmm. They've been cooking in the same pot since like 1954. Awesome. Like it's the I same kind of pot, it's the same family. Yeah. 
the the recipe's not changed. The bone broth is constantly on the boil. It's really? never taken off the simmer. Yeah. And I, I just love the idea of doing one thing. Yeah. And doing it really, really, really well. Yeah. Um, and a friend of mine pointed out that I eat more gyoza than probably anybody <laughs> she's ever met in her life. <laughs> right. Um, it'd be like if I if I got some time at lunch, I'd nip to a local spot, yeah. some dumplings, grab some rice, yeah. um, or I'd cook a load of frozen ones in my kitchen at home, yeah. bring them into work, and that'd be my lunch. Yeah. Um, so when it, we planned out that that was the case, I realized, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's your thing. Maybe that's my thing. Awesome. Um, and I was really lucky because um, working with lots of, lots of my students, I worked at junior high school and teaching little kids as well. The mums of the kids really, really liked me. They really liked talking to me about what I was doing. So I got lucky enough that they would show me, they'd take me into their kitchen yeah. and they'd show me how their family makes gyoza. Nice. Um, and my teaching assistants did the same, uh, Akiko and Miho. They'd be like, oh, well, we make them this way and we do this. How about yeah. this? Yeah. So they basically showed me how to make gyoza. They, they taught me the things that their families did to make them. Yeah. And I got a really, really great head start. Yeah. That allowed me to then kind of go in with some knowledge to... I basically traveled Japan for a year, Brilliant. going to as many gyoza restaurants. Like nice, this. nice. Um, Top gig, man. Top it, gig. It, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I ate about 120 across the country. Wow. Um, so like on, on my weekend, on my days off, I just go, right, there's three spots I want to try in sure. the city, take the train, you know, spend a day wandering around, exploring a new place, and then dropping in here, seeing what they did, yeah. seeing what they did at another spot. Um, and that, that was just an incredible like way to kind of plan a business to look at all these different different really great examples of a food I really love yeah. and see how they do it and see what my spin's going to be on it, how I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um so that's kind of how Big Mouth Gyoza was born. Um nice. spent a year developing a recipe yeah. for a, a pork belly gyoza. Nice. Um I saw that vegan food doesn't really exist in Japan as a concept. Yeah. Still kind of getting there. Um but I saw how big vegan stuff was getting in the UK. Mm-hmm. So I made a point of making sure I've got an amazing meat product. We also make a mushroom gyoza yeah. um, that I developed while I was over there too, which was quite difficult because a menu would say vegetable gyoza, but what they actually meant was it was pork right. and vegetable. Got it. Yeah. Um, so finding examples of that was really tough. Um, but yeah, uh, so I spent a year planning this business, came back with two amazing recipes for dumplings, um, a business plan of who to contact, how to get into events, all these things. Yeah. Like, did case studies of big street food businesses to see mm-hmm. what, what they're doing well and how they're doing it, to try and figure out my branding and my yeah. strategy for how to deploy. And then move back and hit the ground running. Nice um, one. Moved back to England in April 2019. Yeah. Um, and my first event was, I think it was the first week of June. Wow. In um, that year. So I kind of landed, um, was able to secure a loan just while I was leaving Japan in England for the finance of the business yeah and then rocked on from there really awesome brother um, so we had a, a first year of but it was it was brutal really um my mum and dad moved to the Archdales while I was living in Japan right um and they had a garage and a utility room yeah um so they very kindly said look start it here yeah go for it they were amazingly supportive and still are to really? this day um so yeah literally started out at the back of my mum's kitchen yeah Filled the garage with freezers nice. um, and everything I needed and, and went from there. Awesome. Um, so I, I think my first event was just near here, actually. I think it was in Murfield. Um, a little event in a field. So I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. Threw a gazebo up, 
threw some tables in there, had some grill, some steamers, yeah. and it's like, let's, let's see if we can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now it's been, it'll be five years in April. Awesome, bro. Awesome. It's been a wild ride since. Yeah, yeah. Have you found with it, with girls, is, have you had to educate? Does everyone know what it is no. in the term you're standing this is, this is still a battle now. Yeah. Um, I think there's been some amazing coverage of Japan yeah. in the British media over the last few years with the Olympics, with the rugby going mm-hmm. there. There's been some fantastic shows on TV. It was a Paul Merton one, a Paul Hollywood one. Paul Hollywood, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, but still, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough sell. Yeah. Um, we're, we're competing, we compete in lots of different markets, but we try to offer something that's really, really high quality. So yeah. it's handmade, an artisan product. Yeah. And oftentimes we're competing next to a burger van. Yeah. And people know what a burger is. But yeah. they don't necessarily know what I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that that's definitely been a battle. But then I imagine you probably get the flip side of that, whereas I think some people will probably run to you versus the burger. Like I, yeah. my my choice of food would be Japanese. Yeah. Anything if I Anything if I'm in street food, yeah, yeah, I'll go for it. Yeah. Um, just because again, I, what I, to your point you touched on there, one of the big sales for us is the reason we got into Japanese ingredients was that you know one company will just make a ponzu. Yeah. And they nail it, and they've nailed yeah. it for fifty years. Mm-hmm. It's and wonderful. That, yeah, I love that versus a, a bad example, but a Unilever who will yeah. do a butter, a sure. washing they, detergent. They yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that to me is the big appeal. But um, but I think there are people out there like me who are really yeah, into that Japanese. Sure. And, and we've seen that as, as we've grown. We um, Best example is Download. Download's a, a big rock festival at Castle Donington. Yeah. We, we're there every year and we have people who have our food at Download who will come to us somewhere random. We're like, you, you guys are downloaded, weren't you? We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're like, oh, thank God. Yeah, I've been thinking about you dumplings for the last year since, since awesome. that last. That's what you want, though, man. You see that a lot. But educationally, it's, it's been quite difficult. Um, I'll give you a really good example. One thing we've done this year is, unfortunately, I think, well, not, not unfortunately, if you have a couple of drinks in you and you're at a festival or you're at a food festival or something, you probably want some chips. Fair. And people gravitate towards something yeah. with chips. Yeah. Um, as a consequence of that, I've realized I have to serve chips. Yeah. Um, now, if you look at all of the amazing gyoza establishments in Tokyo, I can think of one store that sells gyoza with fries. Yeah. Um, Okada Best Days in uh, Nakameguro. They do amazing handmade gyoza, but they serve them with fries. Yeah. Um, so kind of seeing that they did that allowed me to think, well, if somebody's doing this in Japan, sure. it's probably okay for me to do it too. So we're doing a, we, we call it gyoza loaded fries because people love the word loaded. Yeah. Um, I think true. it's a psychological it's thing. Yeah. It, it, I hate myself. It kills me, but. You got to do what you got to do. Gyoza loaded fries, it, as we've sold, it's been our biggest seller this year. Wow. So we do, we do fries. We, we make a, a soy vinaigrette to go on there. Nice. Um, season everything fantastically. It looks amazing. And it just flies out. Yeah. Um, and I think going back to your point of educating the customer, I think we're obviously we're in a cost of living crisis mm-hmm. and people are struggling, but people do still have money to spend on food. Sure. It's just if you're going to spend 12 quid on a meal somewhere, it's got to be killer. It's got to be good. You yeah. want it to be good. And also it's got to be safe too. Sure. So if, if you go somewhere and you don't necessarily know what the product is and it comes with rice, yeah. you might be thinking, hmm, I'm going to have something that I don't really know what it is. And it comes with rice. Yeah. It's a it's a bit of a risk for them. Yeah. But actually adding chips to that equation yeah. and making them really, really good and showing them, you know, a beautifully presented demonstration plate, yeah. gyoza with fries, 
you think, oh, well, that looks interesting, but there's the safety net of the fries on that. Yeah. So if I don't necessarily like the gyoza, it's just not for my palate, then you've got the fries as well. So it kind of increases the likelihood of a customer to go ahead and purchase that as opposed to just getting burger and chips from that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, so we've put a lot of thought into that, and I, I think we've done that really, really well this yeah. year. It's really interesting hearing from you there versus some of the chefs who work with you. You've approached things in quite an analytical way, yeah. which is a really interesting approach towards this. Because, again, if you focus on the quality of the product and then you're doing the research behind it, I mean, we work with a number of street food vendors, and I think some over the years have just rolled the dice. Yeah, And they're, they're good enough for chef to pull it off, and then some have rolled the dice, and it's been an well, absolute shit. That, that's the thing with street food, the fascinating world. But you've got you kind of got to give the customer what they want. Yeah. And I'm I'm working in an environment where they don't necessarily know they want gyoza. Yeah. Because they might have never heard it before, heard of it before. Yeah. So I've got to present my food in a way that's appealing to them. Yeah. But allows them to try something new at the same time. Yeah. But like we we are like me and uh, George, who's my right hand man, we spent so long analyzing other street food businesses, standing yeah. in front of them, looking at what they're doing well, looking at how they're approaching it. And trying to learn any lessons that we can yeah. and applying it. So it's like menus, for example, just yeah. writing a menu and how you choose to display it. Yeah. I've gone into so much detail on this over the years, it killed me. Yeah. To, 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 to minutiae yeah. with, with menu writing. And my menus now are so incredibly simple. They're so articulate of what we exactly sell. Yeah. But people still struggle with them. Yeah. Um, and you look at some menus and you're like, I don't understand yeah, how you're making sales. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't work. You, yeah. People can't read it, you can't see it, you can't understand it. Yeah. When I'm trying to sell a product that you don't necessarily know what it is, yeah. with a menu that is illegible and you can't really understand it, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, absolutely, man. And the street food thing is, um, it's when I went to California for Christmas. One of the big draws out, so I like street food, it was a big street food festival thing. But, and it's, it's immense, but I, I tend to go on if there's just a little Mexican family, yeah, not a lot going on in terms yeah. of the jazz, but the queues like miles long, and that to me is the thing. Again, it's that it's simple, but that's why the guy was, you know, yeah. it appeals to me. It's like say if you've got millions of different things and there's all the jazz, I think it, it doesn't you, work. Your money's on marketing, not on the product. Yeah. So um, no, it is it is interesting. Street food is very much alive and well in this country. You know, it's it's doing. I find more of our chefs if they've been at a place for a long time they'll gravitate to starting a street food business and then from there maybe look at a permanent residency or if they're on a yeah, restaurant, etc. I think it's a nice perceived cheaper way in, um, whether it is or not, I don't know, big question. But um, but then it's critical mass, isn't it? I suppose you go to all the big festivals, so yeah. you have to turn, because I imagine they're not cheap to get a picture. No. Um, yeah, so it's that, that's where I think your analytics probably beats. Yeah, you, you've, you've got to look, you've really got to consider everything. The money, like people think, oh, this really, really annoys me. People think, oh, yeah, you know, you just get a gazebo, you just put it up somewhere. And yeah, people 50 come, quid in your you, way. You're making loads of money. Yeah. You're not. Yeah, yeah. It is, it's a killer. A, a guy this summer, this really, really, really annoyed us. Um, we were at a food festival that I'm not going to name. Yeah. But he came up and I, I was standing at the back of our pitch and um, he said to one of my staff, how can you justify charging what you're charging for your food when I can get something next door for eight quid and you're selling for 12 quid? And I had to walk away because yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have the conversation, but luckily Harry, who works for me, handled it really, really well. It's like, look, you know, the cost to be here is immense. Yeah. Staffing cost is immense. And the risk that you take is massive. Yeah. You know, we don't make money every time we go out. No. People have this like, 
crazy assumption that you're making money hand over fist. Yeah. You're not. Well, it's a that, really, but... really, really yeah. tough world to operate in. Yeah. The people think, oh, there's loads of people here. Oh, you'll be raking it. Yeah. Like, there's a lot that goes into getting it right and making it perfect yeah. to give the customer a great experience and have a viable business at the same time. Yeah. Oh, it's a slog. I mean, I, I think because I've been in ingredients one way or another for all my professional life, I'm also dealing with supermarkets, right. food service. But my coming into this, it was a real rude awakening as to, you know, everyone's operating on wafer thin margins. Yeah. And you've got to make it pop, you know, because there's some other guy out there who'll sell it a penny cheaper. And if I was my customer, I'd be like, well, I can get it cheap. It's down to service yeah. range, you know, innovation and stuff. It's it, it, the, the perception in the UK of restaurant owners is completely different than yeah. reality, in my opinion. Everyone thinks they're loaded and they're it's not. not the case. <laughs> yeah, it's not the case at all. It's tough. It's a tough industry. It's it. But then, I do think with street food, though, I've, what we've seen over the last, especially post-COVID, is it's levelled up quite a lot. There was a lot of you burger guys, mm. you know, who were chucking a bit of avocado on top of a burger and yeah. costing it as high-end. But now I think the refinement's really starting to come through in terms of things that you do and people like Cluck and Dove and things that we work with, where they're really thinking around, you know, how to service a customer better with almost like a, a rosetted-style food yeah. option. You know that some things that you couldn't get at a high quality restaurant necessarily and i think that's really interesting but then equally what i find must be hard from your perspective is you go to a street food place but all your competitors are lined up next year and again it's that you have to get that buck through the door you know yeah i think that that's probably a common misconception too as well um when i first started you know you, you're looking in the field and you're looking at your competition sure Actually, I consider the people I work alongside as my, my colleagues, my brothers. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, awesome. we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Um, you know, in many ways, it's it's us as one big family kind of working alongside, and you could say to some extent, against the event organizers. Yeah. Um, you know, we I see more comradeship with them sure. than I do the person who books the festival. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, we're all here for the same reason. Yeah. And actually, all of our success is intrinsically tied to how well an event company promotes an event, yeah. how well it sells tickets, how well that's marketed. Yeah. Because we are paying an awful lot of money to be there. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. For, for me, if I see the guy next to me doing well, I think that's fantastic. Awesome. No, it's a good way of looking. I want them to do well. I want everyone in the field to have a really, really good show. Yeah. Because I know how hard it is to be here. I know how much of a slog it is. Um. Because we, you know, you every every weekend we trade the gamble. Yeah, it's literally you, you're paying thousands of pounds to be there, and you don't know how well the marketing for the event's gone. Sure, yeah, and weather and everything. Else it is interesting. I, I find as well, maybe it's because I'm getting older. But like me and my partner will go and look. You know, the street food thing at an event is like part of the big event for us. Because yeah. again, you get that introduction, which is why I touched on that education piece. Like I expect, I don't know whether it's because I'm in the industry. I expect to find something new and yeah. that's where I'm going to put my money. It's not necessarily a burger place mm. or a pizza place because I mean, there's some great pizza street yeah. guys and burgers. But um, yeah, that, that sort of discovery bit for me is the beauty of the street food. It is for like, me too. Yeah. I absolutely love that. But so that's kind of why I went in, into this world with a niche, with yeah. something that nobody else is doing. Yeah. I, I think I can say with good authority now, that I'm the biggest producer of handmade dumplings that sells them at festivals oh, in the that, UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we made 200,000 dumplings this year wow. by hand. We make the pastry, we do everything. It's brilliant. Um, it, it's, it's, 
it's fantastic that we can do that. Yeah. But at the same time, from if you kind of look at it from an event organizer's perspective, they want something unique. They want something new. But that's actually not their biggest priority. Sure. Um, which I, I kind of, it, it took me a couple of years to kind of get my head around this. But actually, they're thinking about three things more than anything. Thinking about quality. They're thinking about, you know, giving the customer good food. But more importantly, the food businesses have to be able to operate on the scale that they need them. So yeah. it's about reliability more than anything. Sure. So the reason you probably see the same food businesses do the big festival circuits and you might think, oh, well, this food isn't great. It's just chicken and chips or just yeah. a burger or something is because these businesses are proven to be reliable yeah. because the, the booking agent has booked them because they are reliable. Yeah. And if they're not, you've almost got like a humanitarian crisis on your hands. You've got 30, 40, <laughs> 50,000 people in a field yeah, no. who are all hungry yeah. with nowhere to eat because you've, let's say you've chosen an artisan business who's been going a couple of years. You know, they might not be able to serve 1,500, 2,000 covers in a day. Sure. And then you've got a food business down who's now not serving, who couldn't cope with the demand. Yeah. So actually that reliability front is so important for these yeah, booking agencies. And then equally for you to make sure you've got the right stuff at the right time. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is really interesting, fair when you break it down like that. Um, it is because I mean, I suppose some of the what's always interested me since working with you guys is the management, your pre-management almost of things like cause you did Glastonbury, didn't you? And yeah. like, I like, that must be getting ready for that must be it's, mega. We we kind of, I I can't really call myself a chef. Like I'm a somebody who's really interested in business and who really really loves food. Awesome. And I, I cook and I make food. Uh, for a living but actually a big part of my job is logistics yeah like Glastonbury is an app just Glastonbury is an example that's a really really good example so we made the dumplings for Glastonbury Glastonbury's in June we made the dumplings for Glastonbury in February March time wow we blast freeze them we've got big walking freezers to store everything and then from there onwards the week of Glastonbury is is a slog you've got the week before you're planning all the stuff you need getting your freezer trailer ready, getting everything organized, loading the van, planning all of your resources. And there's months of planning of, of that kind of thing in the sure. works too for the whole season. But then, so we loaded the van on Friday. We loaded the freezer trailer Saturday night. We then drove to Glastonbury on the Sunday. Yeah. This is before show week. So we're three days in now. We arrived Sunday night, Yeah. set up our tents to sleep in. Yeah. We spent all of Monday building. Yeah. So we build a big six by six structure, freeze the trailer behind, stock van behind, nice camping facilities behind, and then we're open from Tuesday. Yeah. So then we decided to open Tuesday. Yeah. We served with a skeleton staff Tuesday. Um, it was, this was our first year, so everyone was like, "Oh, you've got to open, you've got to open." Yeah. Opening Tuesday didn't really work. Right. Okay. Um, so we didn't. We then didn't open Wednesday because the public was still not in. We were just serving the staff on site. Okay. And then from Thursday through Sunday night. We're open for, I think, 15 or 16 hours a day. Some people go 24 hours. Wow. And then, you know, Sunday night closes. So we've, the, the whole thing's Friday. So you, you're right, 11 days in the works now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got to break it all down Monday. Take it find on. a hotel to stay somewhere Monday night. And yeah. then drive back Tuesday. Jesus. Unload everything Wednesday. You're at yeah. like nearly two, two weeks, weeks of work. Yeah, yeah. Just to service this one intense. event. It, it's crazy. But then equally, a cool experience um, oh, just from a brand perspective. Um, well, it, absolutely stunning festival. Yeah. The, the most amazing facilities. 
it's 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 but they build a city yeah, they build yeah, a yeah. city in some fields yeah and it, it's just magical yeah. um in terms if you could go to any festival once and have the experience awesome. of your life it's Glastonbury. awesome it's, it's not like anything else in the uk yeah um, and with your festival planning so you just looking at it from your analytical side are you looking at i suppose do you look at things that are good for the brand i glasgow etc do you look at things that are good for educating customers like your brand which is more food yeah. trial festivals or do you, does that come into any planning or um i think for the the big lesson that we're constantly working on is is my food in front of the right audience Fair. um yeah. so a good example of that this year would be well for a start i think i should probably explain how it works too first um we we don't just click our fingers and get Glastonbury. Okay. You have to apply. Right. So there's there's no there's no guarantee that we I think Glastonbury could be good for my brand yeah. and good for my food and put me in a good position, but there's no guarantee that yeah, I can get, get it. it. Okay. Um, and it's the same with all of the music festivals. Right. The music festivals and, and food festivals too. They're basically there's booking agencies that book all of these things. Right. So there's really big booking agencies that book the music festivals. There's companies that have food festivals all around the country, and so we're in with tons of different booking agencies. And we basically see what events that we could possibly get. Yeah. So the start of my year is me looking at the calendar, filling it up with all the different um, events that the booking agencies we work with offer. Yeah. And then putting applications in. Okay. So even if we did an event this year, there's no guarantee we'll get it again next year. Wow. Okay. That's um, interesting. So I have to think think about the whole summer, logist logistically first and foremost. Yeah. Um. For example, our biggest month is June. Yeah. Um, there's Download Festival in Glastonbury, but there's also Isle of Wight. Right. Isle of Wight is in the week off between Download and Glastonbury. Yeah. So as much as we get offered Isle of Wight every year, it'd be very difficult for me to do it, having Download being massive, Isle of Wight being massive, and then Glastonbury yeah. being massive three weeks in a row. Yeah. Logistically, it's really tough. Yeah. So you fill the calendar with lots of options. Yeah. Um, you, you put your applications in. Um, you try and, you know, as, as, as application acceptances and rejections come in, you try and think about the calendar, think about what works. We've got that one, we've not got that one, which means we shouldn't do that one. So you pull that application and yep. it's, it's like a, a logistical nightmare. Basically. Yeah, sure. You've got to fill the calendar, make sure you're putting yourself in the most profitable positions for you yeah. and working the best events and trying to balance how much you're working and the schedule. Yeah. Um, so when I'm thinking about events, um, for me, I'm trying to get an older crowd. Yeah. Um, Download's the best example of that. It's Download primarily is seen as people who like rock music's week in Spain. So okay. they don't want to go to Spain and sit by the pool. Yeah. They want to go to a muddy field, Fair. watch their favorite band, yeah. and eat lots of food. So the audience at Download is primarily above 30. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it's people in their late 20s, early 30s, okay. who you're probably young professionals or they do whatever they do. Yeah. But that's their holiday. Right, like okay. They're there for the whole week. Um, and that's where they choose to have their like summer vacation. They spend their money there. Yeah. Um, and it's an older, probably more educated on food crowd. Yeah. Whereas um, one of the booking agencies we love working with, um, Book Transmit Festival. Right. Which is, um, it used, in my money, it's tea in the park. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Went Big out. music festival day, in, yeah. in Glasgow in Scotland. Um, we did that for <clears> the first time this year. And, you know, organisationally, the team we worked with were fantastic. Love working with them. Live Nation were really good with us that yeah. weekend. Um, but in terms of the crowd, it was a disaster. Right. Um, to summarise it, it was 14-year-old girls wearing no clothes on ketamine. Right. And then awesome. they're not going to buy <laughs> <Not> a <Afghan laughs> are they? No. But you, you look at the lineup. 
and Pulp headlined Friday. Yeah. I think it was Sam Fender the Saturday. And so you would think an older audience. You'd think yeah. that that crowd draws a bit of an older audience. What was really cool for us was um, on the Thursday night before, Motley Crue and Def Leppard's tour was tagged on. Yeah, yeah. So we got to cater for that show. Awesome. But it wasn't the right crowd. Yeah. So the, the weekend, as much we had a nice time in Glasgow. Yeah. Um, I can't fault the booking agent for the service they provided. We yeah. love working with them. For us, it was completely the wrong audience. Yeah. And you know, I went in at the end of the festival to the, the guy who books us and said, "Look, thanks for having us. Obviously, wrong yeah. crowd." Yeah. He said, "Yeah," but at the same time, you've taken hundred plus food vouchers yeah. from the staff. So clearly, your food's great. And yeah. People, you know, people who want it want it. But yeah, if this was the wrong crowd for you. Yeah. Probably won't do it again. I'm like, yeah. cool, nice one. So that was a risk, but I got it completely wrong. Yeah. I thought the lineup was based for people over 30, yeah. or like late 20s, mid 20s, whatever. Yeah. Turned out that was wrong. Yeah. So we took an absolute bath that weekend. Um, I lost so much money. It cost me so much money to be there, to produce the show. Um, and it was a nightmare. I suppose at some, at some point you have to roll the dice you, for all the planning. Everything. Just, every every yeah. week's another roll of the dice. Like every, every week's a gamble. Yeah. Um, so it, we try to plan, we try to plan for events that are, have the right crowd for us. Um, but then, you know, we get it wrong. Yeah. We get it wrong all the time. As yeah. much as we get it right, we get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and it's just about having really, really good relationships with the booking agents to know that they can take a risk and put you in these places, sure. put you at these big events. Um, but I suppose yeah. the more you do this, the, the more refined your thinking yes. will get. You'll know that last well, I was a winner. In the park, not so much. To whatever. a point, yeah. Like, um, I don't know how much you know about the world of food festivals. A little bit, not a lot. Um, food festivals pre-COVID were nuts. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers. People were loving it. Yeah. And then the year that we came out of the COVID, um, kind of the COVID bubble, because people weren't going overseas, they were yeah. spending their money domestically. Yeah. So food festivals were absolutely bonkers. Yeah. We were doing some serious numbers at food festivals. Yeah. And then this year and last year, Die. Terrible. Yeah. Absolutely terrible. Um, and it's like, I've just, I'm just come off the back of three food festivals in the last couple of weeks. They've been dire. Yeah. Um, we've not made money. I think though it's interesting. So we, so I've had this business now nearly eight years and we've changed a hell of a lot in terms of customer base and what we do and stuff. But there are certain givens in this business that I could bank, yeah. you know, my daughter's Christmas on basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this year, the year that we're in, yeah. my brains out with that. Like everything and my entire faith has been rocked in terms of I could have yeah. banked on that every day. Well, the, the problem that we're finding too, in, in food festivals were our banker, they were our bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. But the cost to do the food festivals has gone up, the pitch yeah. fees are going up, the fee for electricity is going up on these yeah. sites. Then you get in there and there's now 50% of the people that were there when yeah. they were popular. Yeah, so your costs have gone up, but the footfall's gone down. Yeah. And you're like, you yeah. can't yeah it just doesn't work it's it's hard i think that i think to your point though from what we've seen from our other street food places is the music the, the actual event like you say that's someone's holiday they're banking yeah a grand on tickets to go to v or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. then i think that because you're in holiday mode to a degree aren't yeah. you? so you just the, lavish the, the thing cash. i was saying last year is we're trying to choose destination events yeah where it's the, it's somebody's big money spender for the year. Yeah. That's where they want to go. They're going to buy the beers. They're going to buy the food, and they're going to have a great time. Yeah. But if you know your Saturday is going to be, oh, we're going to spend fifteen quid on a ticket to a food festival in a field in the middle of yeah. nowhere, probably not going to happen, is it? Yeah, you're more likely to have a wonder. It's yeah. time killer. And this is what we were talking before the podcast around 
Um, I went to Meadowhawk a few weekends ago and it, it was packed. Mm. But I don't know how many people were spending. Yeah. But then it's a free day out with the kids. I'm not saying it's particularly exciting. Yeah, but, it but is, yeah. You know, it's... Wondering around free, yeah. Yeah, and it's, I think that sometimes... With, to, I go to a food festival thing in Barnsley now and again. I've been in a few years. But again, there's a lot of people walking around and they'll buy like... Leanne's chocolate, mm. you know, and that's it. It's five quid. Yeah. But are they trying everything? I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, the the uh, other annoyance on food festivals, people always want a sample. Yeah, exactly. You cannot, yeah. if you walk in through the artisan trade, you can basically eat for the day just having a sample. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're not going to buy the food. Yeah, yeah exactly. So that's, you know, yeah. nightmare for me. Yeah, exactly. Well, especially if you're if you don't have an ongoing out because you do the home you did the home stuff didn't you, where you could buy. Yeah. Um. We had a COVID was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, so I was going to run me going a year. So, yeah, moved back April 2019. Had my first summer, I did uh, 12 or 15 events. Then I was doing like residency kitchens for two and three weeks here and there. Nice. And then I was at um, Attic Bruco in Birmingham. I think there was some big rugby thing on, and we we're getting this news about this COVID thing. Yeah. And I was there, and I think it was, it was late February, early March. Yeah. And I just paid loads and loads of money in pitch fees for food festivals for the next year yeah like at the time i think i think i probably outlaid about five thousand pounds at that time which was huge for me at the yeah. time in pitch fees it still is for a lot of street food businesses um and everything just cancelled overnight basically yeah um and i spent all of like january february making loads of dumplings to serve at these events and i just had, i think i had six thousand dumplings in the freezer with nothing to do i'd made them all myself yeah absolutely everything was done by me at that time i didn't have any staff or anything like that so the, the only option i had was to try and sell them to people yeah, so yeah. i'd just be posting on facebook trying to deliver them to everywhere so i'd be driving around in my van yeah just kind of just happy to get the lease payment back on my van and yeah yeah pay my insurance for the month and just just, just yeah. keep going yeah um that morphed into um i was going nationwide nice um working with a courier to sell frozen dumplings around the country um which was really really great business lesson for me but at the same time a, a epic fail right um what i didn't realize going into it was home delivery food had skyrocketed through covid people yeah. were loving it but i was then competing advertising wise with gusto yeah with hello fresh and all these massive companies yeah they've just got unlimited resources yeah. to throw into advertising yeah dropping the ocean so I, I dropped thousands and thousands of pounds into yeah. the advertising world and it, it just never came back yeah um we combined that with big issues with couriers too yeah um i know you do some frozen food stuff but yeah. sending frozen food through the post around no, the country yeah, is a nightmare yeah um i think the final straw was we sent 60 boxes out one day with dpd and they just never made it to the depot yeah, they just didn't um, get any money back for that. And then they're in the bin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've you got no liability, you've got no insurance on them. Yeah. Because um, it's perishable food. Yeah. So it's like turned a profitable week into actually, Killed I've it. lost money and now I've got to ship everything out again. At yeah. Cost. Yeah. So we, we, we gave up. Um, but we do every year, October, November time, we do a, a local delivery route. Nice. Kind of Yorkshire, Lancashire, yeah. uh, Manchester, um, which is really good. The customers still love it. We've got so many amazing delivery customers still with us from the yeah. beginning. And um, we go into Trinity Kitchen through the winter two in Leeds. Awesome. We have frozen gyoza for sale there. Yeah. Um, as well as all the food festivals we do, we've always got them for sale. Yeah. Um, but from a delivery side, it's, that's just a tough world. It's, yeah, it's a different operation completely. Yeah. It's and it's again, it's getting that return. So we similarly we did the home deliveries like wannabe Asda, and for the first two weeks, as we were there from the off, yeah. 
It's like, holy shit, I'm in Tesco the North. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, but then it was weird. One Saturday, it all stopped. Mm. He's like, we were, we couldn't keep up with demand. And then that from that Saturday onwards, it just disappeared into. Yeah. It's like all the supermarkets got their act together that weekend. At the same time, everyone realised they weren't going to die yeah. or starve to death. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then we had a really rough year, like just yeah. club. But then similar to you, so my knee jerk was advertise. Yeah, pilot in. Yeah, so we slammed on all the Facebook, Insta yeah. advertising. Must have chucked, I'd say, similar amount of money. Uh, you know, five grand territory and what a waste. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm, I took, I got a COVID bounce back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got 25 grand. Yeah. Pilot into ads. Yeah. All yeah. of it gone. Yeah. yeah. Like, just away. thinking, yeah. this is this is how I grow, this is how I compete. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to have that loan forever. Yeah. 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 You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard, though. I think the COVID thing, we made some really good decisions, but then equal really bad decisions. Yeah. Like too. almost on the same day, some days. Like it was very hard to step back and go, yeah. is this the right call? Oh, yeah. Um, you, you were so quite feel like. So yeah. you, 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 it was like, it was like you're almost at war. Yeah, I don't absolutely. The yeah, little yeah, being absolutely. at war, but like yeah. having a small business absolutely, during the brother. pandemic, yeah. I was. It was traumatic. Yeah. It was absolutely. It was a brutal year. Just yeah. trying to keep going and trying to do something. Yeah. Oh, it was, um, it's crazy. Brutal. It's weird because, like, there's there's some days some of my friends obviously work from home and stuff, and I was like, because we still came in now. Yeah. Like, oh, to watch like the friends back to back, you know, seasons yeah. one through nine or whatever. But uh, yeah, it, it was a weird time. But then equally, I think it, the the resolve it gave us. Yeah. For because I felt being in Yorkshire, our COVID journey kind of went because we had the mini lockdown at Christmas as well yeah. after everything came out. So we almost had a year and a half of it, if not yeah. longer. And I'd say this year we've our financial we've just come out of is the first year post COVID for us because it's things have sort of got back a bit yeah. more to normal. Um, but yeah, no, it was a it was an interesting time. But then equally, it allowed us to readdress where we were going as a business and exit some customers we didn't want to yeah. deal with in terms of that wasn't our food anymore and you mm. know meet people like yourself and other cool street food vendors and, and restaurants and stuff and that i am grateful of it in a strange yin and yang way you know yeah it's, it's, it definitely shaped me as a businessman yeah sure. yeah and you, you there's also a bit of me the stupid fat boy in me there's like I survived that. I'll survive anything. Like, oh yeah, you, completely. I'll figure it out. Yeah, you know you, I mean? yeah, I've definitely got more resolve following yeah. it. Yeah, totally. It's, so, what's the, what's sort of the next step? What's the next couple of years plan for you? What what are you thinking? Um, it's it's still it's all it's a constantly changing environment for us. Um, at the moment, we're trying to pursue lots of new avenues with making new relationships, with residency opportunities. Cool. Um, I'm in a really fortunate position now that I've got a great team behind me. Yeah. Um, and for any small business, that's the hardest thing: having the right staff and the Absolutely. right people with you um, to to be able to trust them to you know go off and do an event mm-hmm. for me without me being there. Yeah. And for me, maybe me do an event at the same time and me send a team somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so we're the the big issue that I, I face now as a having an events food business is our biggest months of summer. Right. Um. And if you take a couple of hits during the summer, the books don't look too good at the end of summer, sure. and you're now thinking, I've now got to get to next summer, yeah. and all the money comes back in. Yeah. Um, for example, um, massive fallout with Kirkley's Council this year. Yeah. They cancelled Huddersfield Food and Drink Festival, yeah. um, which I paid an awful lot of money to be at. Yeah. Uh, they cancelled, they pulled the plug on it the day it was supposed to happen, um, and they will not refund the pitch fees of any of the vendors. 
I've had 230 quid back on a two grand pitch. Surely that's illegal. <laughs> no, nope, not. I signed contracts that make it very legal, unfortunately. Oh. Um, but for me, that festival was a 15 to 25 grand revenue stream yeah. that just disappeared overnight. You know, yeah. I got to site and they told me to cancel. Yeah. Um, so you had all the prep for that and staff, oh, you know, yeah. ready. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, also, you've, every weekend we trade, you've got an opportunity cost battle. Yeah. So we could choose one event, but there's another 10 events that we could do that same weekend. Yeah. I've chosen that event for a reason because yeah. I think that's the best one for me. Yeah. But now you can't jump on another event last minute. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, so moving forward, we're trying to kind of minimize variance a little bit. Mm -hmm. This year we've had extreme highs and also extreme lows, right. um, which has been a really fun ride specifically. this Last year was a little bit steadier. This year has been more super up, super down. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of looking to next year to try and minimize variance a little bit okay. while still taking these massive shots. Yeah. So um, last year, well, 2023, um, we started the year by February and March. We just made about 120,000 dumplings just yeah. for four weeks straight, no, eight weeks straight, sorry, yeah. without trading. So yeah. we didn't bring any money in during that time because we needed the stock for the summer. Sure. <clears throat> this year, because I've got a bigger team, I've got more staff. We're trying to take a different approach to that and bring money in February, March, April, whereas last year we didn't so much. Sure. So then we can still make the right amount of stock. Yeah. We just do it over a, a longer period of time to then go into the summer full ball. Nice. Like, so I'm, I'm trying to explore new opportunities kind of around the country. We went to Norwich for the first time, which okay. is one hell of a drive. Okay. We're doing a, a month in Reading. Right. Um, we're trying to capitalize on times when we're not bringing any money in yeah. to try and boost the revenue for the business. And then for the summer, you know, as much as we'll have some huge weekends, we can also take the, the big knocks with yeah. a little bit more money behind us and a little bit more, like a little bit even. Big cushion. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the magic bullet though, isn't it? We, yeah. What we've learned in the last couple of years is cushion's key. And yeah. that's what we keep trying to work towards. Yeah. Um, and equally working with people like yourselves, because you can flex our flow of stock yeah. in and out, you know, by just these big hits, yeah. which are great for us along with our standard trade. Um, and equally allows us to push into new, more exciting areas. But then just touching on staff there, like I've seen your operation, which is awesome. Um, have you, I suppose you've passed quite a lot of skills on them in terms of the Japanese oh, method. And absolutely. Um, for, for us, it's that I never wanted to be a business that just peddles crap we buy from the shop. Nice, yeah. Um, I always wanted to have something that was artisan, handmade, high yes. quality, but could be served at a fast pace and a high volume. Um, so when I learned how to make dumplings in Japan, moving back, I was just the only person making them. Yeah. Um, and in, in some ways, it took me a long time to let go of that. But I realized that I had to bring my staff into the making process if I was ever going to grow and if I was ever going to turn this into like, you know, a real yeah. viable business. Um, so now all of my staff, apart from my, my newest staff member, can fold a tray of 40 dumplings in somewhere between three and four minutes, awesome. which is bonkers fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, they, they've all been taught how to make them. Um, right now, as we speak, my girls in the prep kitchen, they're making a big batch of pork mix. Nice. Because I think we've got 5,000 pork to fold this week. Right. Which is quite a small week now for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I consider I was making 500 on my own and yeah. I made a massive day for me when I first started. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been really, really great to kind of show them how to make dumplings, have them folding, working with the fresh pastry. 
Because we do everything in house. Yeah. We make the pastry, we make the mix, we fold them, we blast chill them, we store them, um, and it, it, it's yeah, it's been really good. It's it's a challenge though because you you invest your time in these people. Yeah. I've been so lucky. I've got an absolutely amazing team behind me, but you you don't want to invest time and money in teaching somebody something that's going to take them a year. Like George is the best example of this. George is my cousin. He's worked with me since pretty much first six months of doing this. Yeah. Um, when he first started working with me full time, he'd just be putting a you know, making the pastry, putting a gyoza skin out, putting the ball on it, and then I'd fold it. Yeah. He did that for a year. Yeah. M- maybe 18 months. Yeah. And then at that point, I was like, right, you need to start folding them too. So yeah. he spent weeks teaching him how to fold the dumpling. Nice. And then gradually over the last year, year and a half, he now folds them as fast as I do, if not faster. Lovely. It's yeah. the same with Christy, who works for me. Harry's getting there. Yeah. My mum, unfortunately, is still the slowest folder in the world. Bless her. She's lovely, though. She's life. wonderful, yeah. <laughs> she's like my kitchen. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you, you've, you've got to pass this on. And you, you've, the, the, the really important lesson I've learned is you've got to empower people. Yeah. You've got to give them the chance to do it so that I can focus on the other stuff. Yeah. So if all my time is just me in the weeds, getting through 5,000 dumplings in a week, how do you run the business yeah you oh it's, it's difficult man yeah i mean like tomorrow i'm on a van yeah you know like but it's what i've learned coming into this because i came from big companies before it took me two months three months for me to realize i will be able to do everything yeah you've got to do but everything. then equally yeah. you've got to be able to show people how to do everything yeah um but then i sometimes enjoy like tomorrow i'm sort of bizarre looking forward to because i'm being on a van a little yeah, bit yeah. i get to see everyone yeah. Do you know what I mean? And stuff. And it, I like the variety yeah, having I mean, this yeah. is brought for me, but I suppose you'll be the same. But you know? That's what I, I love about doing this. You know, I, I grew up with like, idolizing like uh, musicians who tour the world, yeah. like golfers who tour the world, yeah. playing golf, doing that kind of thing. I basically tour the country yeah. selling food. Yeah, you go to some killer festivals, imagine meeting cool people. people. Things, meet, yeah. meet wonderful people. Like I'm constantly in hotels or camping, I'm yeah. barely home. It's great. I imagine that's quite a good sell to some staff as well. Like they get to sit, I appreciate yeah. the working, but they'll get the vibes from Glasgow or download oh, or whatever. Yeah. And... yeah, I mean, it, you know, you get to experience it. And yeah. It's wonderful. But at the same time too, the great thing about the guys who work for me is they love getting smashed. They yeah. love a service that's just nice. nuts. Nice. Like when you're getting absolutely battered from open to yeah. close, they live for that stuff. They yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As much as they Rush. enjoy the, the, the atmosphere of the festival, yeah. they're all, everyone who works with the proper grafter, yeah, yeah, it yeah. really gets stuck in. And we, we've had some mental services this yeah. year. That's cool, um, dude. Brutal. Um, Slam Dunk Festival was just insane. Uh, it's, I don't know if you heard of it. It's an alt-rock fest in Leeds. No. Temple Newsom. But from the moment the gates opened, I think it was just after 12 o'clock until half past 10, um, you couldn't see a blade of grass really? in front of us. Wow! It was it was it was yeah, awful, nice. wonderful, yeah, and just the the most ex- wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. a point of like everyone's traumatized by the end of the day, yeah. but in the best way possible. Sweet one, um, great fun. But we we got to um, at, at Slander this year, and an old punk band, No Effects, were doing their final shows. Right. And they tied one on to the Friday before this festival. Yeah. So me and the lads are stage side watching a really famous punk band from the 90s play their final ever show in the north of England. Yeah, yeah. Just because we're there. That's wicked, man. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got the experience of going to these shows, seeing the most amazing things, but also having loads and loads of fun in a mad service. So you you get get the best of it. I suppose in a strange way you've taken your travelling and then just put it in. So you're still on that adventure trip, aren't you? Like, you know, 
it's because I find the cool bit apart from meeting people like yourself for my job is my daughter's eight. She's been to five Michelin restaurants, kitchens, and met five five awesome. TV shows. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. doesn't mean anything to an owl. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, cool. that's a cool experience. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like, they know her name and stuff, and I'm like, that you'll appreciate that when you're older. Yeah. Um, you know, but then that's that's my little perk is I get to meet some cool people. I get inspired with food, and yeah. you know, I'm saying as opposed to what you might have been when before you went to Japan. I'm not a good chef. I'll cook and bowl of cereal, yeah. but I've got some really good inspiration. I'm really into food and. And yeah. yeah, I've got to meet some ways. And as, as well for me, like I, I'm so lucky to get to travel the country, but I'm, more than anything, I'm lucky to get to take my friends around the country. Yeah, man. And when we do that, we, we eat at the best pubs, we go to the nicest restaurants, we yeah. stay in nice places, we drink great beer, we have a great time while we do it. Yeah. And that's what I always wanted from this. This, As much as it's work, it's, it's my the balance. life. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to have fun while I do it. Yeah. Like we, we do um, Chester Food and Drink Festival over Easter. Yeah. We stay in a, an Airbnb with another trader friend of ours. Yeah. And then we, we do the festival and we go to some really lovely restaurants, really nice pubs, and we have a great time. Yeah. Like it's about having a great experience for my guys, for me, as much as it is work. Well, you'll put that into the job. Like I found at times sometimes we have to step back. If things get a bit too much, you've got to step back and remember why you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then you'll get back on course. Whereas if it's just all... You may as well go work for you and leave it, you know, if it's yeah. all just... Structured. You might as well be sat behind the desk. Yeah. Like not doing anything for yourself. Exactly. That's awesome, brother. So people can find you Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, Big Mouth Gyoza for everything. Um, we're going to be, if you're Leeds local, we're going to be in Trinity Kitchen, Leeds. Awesome. From November 20th-ish through to mid-January. Which is where we met. Where we yeah, met on you our, guys, got, yeah. yeah, on our Christmas night out. Too. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit we'll, too much to drink, but we'll, yeah. <laughs> We'll be at food festivals um, at the start of next year, and hopefully you'll see us again at Glastonbury. Please have us back if you're watching. Yeah. Um, uh, download festival. Uh, we'll be at Leeds Fest. That kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Cheers for your time, brother. No problem at all. Love working with you. Cheers, buddy. on another Chef Life podcast. Uh, I've been your host, Alistair. If you'd like to learn more about our business, uh, you can visit us at www.cottagefoodsltd.com. Uh, give us a follow and a like on Instagram and we'll see you soon. Thanks.